Let us pray. So, Father, indeed, it is our prayer that we would adore thee, our great God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, evermore. And even now, we invite your Spirit to come among us, to mold and shape and renew us more and more into the image of God the Son, Jesus Christ. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, you may be seated. Good morning, everyone. Brave ones out before the arrival of the storm. So glad that you all are here this morning. And um, Father Jed is away with our youth. They are at a um, winter retreat at Camp Booyah with a number of other um, Anglican youth from around the region. And the retreat was supposed to end tomorrow, but my understanding is that they're going to be heading back. The whole retreat is going to conclude at one o'clock today, and they're heading back. So he and our youth and our youth leaders, um, please keep them in prayer as they return for safe travels and that they've had a wonderful time of refreshing with the Lord this weekend. Well, it has been a long time since we looked at the book of Ephesians. We had um, Thanksgiving and Advent, and it was way back in mid-November, but I do want to continue in our study from the book of Ephesians today. And um, my goal is to conclude this series around the beginning of Lent. So I want to do a little review as we back up today, particularly in Ephesians 4 and the verses leading up to verse 11. Verse 11 will be our focus today, which reads, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers, and then verse 12, to equip us the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. As we back up in verses 1 through 10 of Ephesians chapter 4, we see an important pattern which really helps to establish the context for what we're going to talk about this morning. In Ephesians 4 verses 1 through 2, we read of our individual responsibility to each one of us as believers in Christ to walk in godliness. Then in verses 3 through 6, the focus shifts to our shared or corporate responsibility as believers a shared responsibility which is grounded in our unity as disciples of Jesus Christ. The basis of this unity, to be clear, as St. Paul says, is the indwelling Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God himself who dwells in every believer, every person who truly knows Jesus Christ as Savior. And then finally, St. Paul here gives emphasis in these verses as well gives great emphasis to the reality that the unity and shared responsibility we have are a choice. Just because we are unified through the spirit of Christ doesn't mean that we operate in true unity. True godly unity is only possible through the Holy Spirit, but we still must be committed to that unity. We must be committed to walk in that unity. and There must be intentionality on our part to guard that unity. And then finally, in verses 7 through 10, we are reminded that God's grace, God's good grace is the foundation for all of this. And that our unity he has graciously bestowed upon us is from him. And that in that unity, as we seek him together, he also places a beautiful and incredible diversity of his gifts and graces in our midst. By way of review, you will also recall way back in November that as we discussed Ephesians, we began discussing Ephesians 4 verse 11, 
there was a question of whether this is comprised of four or five gifts, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. And we talked about, and I took the position along with a lot of biblical scholars that in this particular instance, based on the grammatical structure, pastor and teacher are one gift, one unit, one package. We also saw back in November as we started looking at this verse that these gifts are not a hierarchy or model for church government, nor are they offices and titles. Rather, these gifts describe how people function within the body of Christ and their giftings are recognized and affirmed by how they function in the body of Christ. New Testament scholar Gordon Fee referring to this passage says it this way. We note that Paul lists people who function in certain ways, not gifts or ministries per se, especially in light of verse seven and of the function or ministries in verse 12 to equip the saints. The enumeration almost certainly has to do with function, not with office. So way back on November 14th, we looked at these overarching principles in some detail. And we also that day began by looking at the gift of apostle. And I'm not going to go back into that today, but I would say if you weren't here or you need a refresher, go to the church website. There's both an audio recording of that sermon and there is a video recording of the entire service on that day, which would include the sermon. So I'd encourage you to go back for purposes of review and, and look at that. What I want to do today is continue by looking at the gifts and ministries of prophet, evangelist, and pastor, teacher. So let's expound and define these gifts a little bit. First, prophets. Definition. Individuals who speak a message from God to the church under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And with this New Testament gift of prophecy, this role is affirmed by those in the body, uh, this gifting is affirmed by those to whom the person gifted in this way ministers. To be clear, this ministry does continue to the present. It didn't cease with the ending of the New Testament canon, the conclusion and closing of scripture. But hear me, the New Testament gift of prophecy is not the same as the ministry of the Old Testament prophet. There are some distinct differences. First, it doesn't have the same level of authoritativeness. You won't find any book in the New Testament written by a prophet in the Old Testament sense like we have with Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Haggai, Malachi. We could go on and on. And that's a good thing because with the Old Testament ministry or office of prophet, anyone who gave an errant or false prophecy, the penalty was death by stoning. Deuteronomy talks about that. Instead, New Testament prophetic ministry is to be judged and evaluated and discerned in light of Scripture, in light of and against God's word, which is perfect and infallible. So we shine the light of Scripture and we weigh whether what is said is of the Lord or holy of the Lord or not. Scripture must be the measure of any prophetic gifting or utterance. First Corinthians chapter 14 goes into great detail about this. In first Corinthians chapter 14, verse 29, we are instructed that a prophecy, what is said must be weighed. That's the word that's used in the English standard version. It must be weighed 
1 John 4, 1, using the same word that is translated weighed in 1 Corinthians 14, 29, says this. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test. Weighing, testing. Test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. So how do we test what is real? By knowing what is real. By knowing the truth. By being immersed in the truth that is without error, God's holy word. And it's like the way that bank tellers are trained. And some of you may know this, but when they train bank tellers to identify counterfeit currency, they don't do that by giving them counterfeit currency. They give that to them. They train them in that by having them handle time and time again the real thing. So they know what the real thing looks like. They know what the real thing feels like. And so when that which isn't real, that which is counterfeit, crosses their hands tactilely, we'll talk about here, they have a clear sense through feel and through looking at it that they know this isn't right, this isn't real, this isn't true. Well, the same idea here with prophetic utterances, they're to be judged and weighed against the truth of God's word. Additionally, in terms of part of this weighing, a valid prophetic utterance is for the purpose of upbuilding, encouraging, and consoling the body of believers. That's what 1 Corinthians 14.3 says. The one who prophesies speaks to the people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. So this must be part of the weighing, the judging, the testing. Does what has been said build up the body. Now it can still be challenging. It can still be a hard word, but it should be for the purpose of building up and strengthening. If it tears down, if it causes division, it's not from God. First Corinthians 14, four reminds us that the one who prophesies builds up or edifies the church. Let's talk a little bit about individual versus corporate. I know so often um, you hear a lot of focus with any type of prophetic utterance or, or prophecies on individual prophecy. And I'm not saying there are not examples of that in the New Testament that, that the gift doesn't sometimes operate that way. But most of the examples we see are corporate. They're a word to the body to exhort and build up the body of Christ. And this was true even with the office of Old Testament prophet as well, most of what was said was a word to God's people, to Old Testament Israel, to challenge, to correct, to build up. The other thing that sometimes we get mixed up with is that we think of prophecy and immediately we think of predictive. We think of the future. And yes, there can be a component of that. But again, even when we look at the office of Old Testament prophet. Yes, we look at Isaiah, we look at Jeremiah, we look at all of the prophets and there are things that are futuristic, but most of what they had to say was a word of exhortation to God's people in that moment, in that day, in their time, calling them to fidelity, to loyalty, to obedience to the one true God. Sometimes today, with the New Testament gift of prophecy, we, we encounter abuses. But that doesn't mean we throw the baby out with the bathwater. We can't do that. But I, I will say this. There are people that take what is a beautiful and glorious gift of God to build up and encourage the body. And frankly, they let it degenerate into something that is not much more than Christian fortune telling. And that's not of the Lord. 
that's not of the Lord. But we are to, to desire the Lord to move in our midst. And it can be done in a way that builds up and strengthens. And it can be done in a way that is decent and in order and glorifying to God. Let's talk about evangelists. Evangelists are persons who are specifically gifted by God to effectively proclaim to hearers the major focus of the gospel, which is salvation through Jesus Christ. Evangelists are gifted and able to proclaim the gospel to unreached people in such a way that they respond to God's offer of salvation and are transformed. Now, to be clear, we are all called to evangelize. It's our first duty as the people of God. One, to be conformed to the image of Christ and to share the gospel, to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. That is the responsibility of all of us. But there are people who are specifically gifted in beautiful ways to share, to build relationships, to connect with people. And God uses them in very profound ways to reach people with the gospel. I think of my friend, African-American pastor up in Hartford County named Bob Savage, where I came from up in Maryland. And, and Bob has the gift of an evangelist. Bob just lives and breathes sharing his faith. You know, when he's in a restaurant, he's thinking, how can I build relationships with the servers? How can I connect them to Jesus? And Bob shares and people respond because it's his gift. While the other ministries here that we're talking about this morning function primarily within the local body, evangelists go out from the local body to the unreached. They proclaim the gospel both to individuals and to groups of people. We see examples of people functioning in this New Testament gifting of evangelists with Philip in Acts 21 verse 8, Timothy in 2 Timothy verse 5. We also see Philip functioning in the gift of evangelists in Acts chapter 8. And here we find him ministering both to a group of people, the Samaritans in verses 4 through 25 of Acts 8, and to an individual, the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8, 26 through 40. Evangelism will focus on both proclaiming the gospel to groups and connecting with individuals. And then finally, pastors and teachers, again, treating this in this specific context in Ephesians 4.11 as one gift. Definition, persons gifted, persons gifted by God for the responsibilities of guiding, caring for, training, and instructing the local body of believers. The word pastor here is most literally translated shepherd with the same Greek word translated pastor here in multiple other places in the New Testament translated as shepherd. The inference here is that if these giftings are truly a single unit, then every God-breathed pastor should also be an effective teacher. Now, I'll get to some other things with that in a little while, but, but in the sense of those who are called to ordain ministry, to the, the presbyterate, to eldership. There needs to be some component of giftedness in pastoring and teaching. And we recognize that in the Anglican church um, to those who are called to ordain ministry, especially priests and bishops. First Peter also reiterates this where in verses chapter five, verses one through four, we read. So I exhort the elders, the presbyters among you 
as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples of the flock or to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Again, we recognize in the ACNA and the Anglican Church of North America that this is an integral part of being an elder in both in the ordinal, which is our service of ordination, both for the ordination of a priest and for the consecration of a bishop. This charge is given. I exhort you now in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to be a messenger, watchman, and steward of the Lord. You are to teach, to warn, to feed, and to provide for the Lord's family, and to seek for Christ's sheep who are in the midst of this fallen world, that they may be saved through Christ forever. And then in the examination, when the candidate has questions posed to him, this is said. Will you be ready with all faithful diligence to banish and drive away from the body of Christ all erroneous and strange doctrines contrary to God's word and to use both public and private admonitions and exhortations to the weak as well as the strong within your charge as need shall require an occasion shall be given. And the answer is, I will the Lord being my helper. Then on top of that, at the consecration of a bishop, which Hopefully all of you will have the opportunity to be a part of next year, um, a year from this February when we, um, when our new bishop is consecrated for this diocese, the archbishop in the charge to the new bishop says this, be to the flock of Christ, a shepherd, not a wolf, feed them, do not devour them, hold up the weak, heal the sick, bind up the broken, bring back the lapsed and seek the lost. Do not confuse mercy with indifference. So minister discipline that you may forget not mercy. That when the chief shepherd appears, you may receive the never fading crown of glory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And then when the new bishop is given his staff or his crozier, the the shepherd's staff that every bishop carries, this charge is given to that person. Take this staff and watch over the flock of Christ. Clearly, pastoral imagery. All those called to the ministry of priest and bishop, the presbyterate, if you will, need to have some, some giftedness in the areas of pastoring, shepherding, and teaching. But that does not mean that there aren't people in the body who aren't called to ordain ministry that aren't gifted pastorally or aren't gifted as teachers. By no means. And when we look at Romans 12 and we look at 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, there are ministries of teaching and pastoring and exhorting that aren't lumped together as pastor teacher as they are here in, first, in Ephesians 4, 11. And there are people in this very church who are called and gifted in these ministries. I think of teaching with with what goes on here in the education hour on Sunday mornings and in small groups and some of our Bible studies and in foundations and what takes place back in children's ministry. People incredibly gifted as teachers and shepherds, pastors, those who 
lead the flock of God's people who are under their area of ministry, calling and responsibility within this local church. I think of our Stephen ministers. Again, what takes place back in the children's wing. God has set his beautiful and glorious gifts in place in this church so that the body may be built up, that Christ may be glorified and the lost may be evangelized. So what's the purpose of all of this? Look at verses 12 through 13 of Ephesians 4. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Did you hear that? To equip the saints, to equip all of you who know Christ for the work of the ministry. For the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. God has set his gifts far more than just the ones we talked about today in place in the body, in his church for the building up and the strengthening of the church to equip us for the work of the ministry, to move us toward greater unity in the faith and greater knowledge of the son of God, not head knowledge, but experiential heart knowledge of who Jesus is as our Lord and our life giver. And to maturity, because as we grow, We will grow in the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We will grow in the giftings that God has placed in us and in this body. And as we mature, that will be reflected in our individual sense of responsibility that we talked about at the beginning of this sermon. Our corporate calling and sense of responsibility both to to build up and to strengthen and to guard the unity that God has given us, but also to reach out beyond our walls, to reach out to the community around us, to reach out to people who need to know the transforming life and love of Jesus Christ, who have real needs, spiritual, emotional, physical needs, And as we mature, we grow in an ever greater sense that this is all by God's grace. Did you hear me? It's not a bless me thing. It's not look how great I am. Look at my gifts. Look how fruitful I am. No. The more we grow, the more we we mature, the more we are built up the more we will recognize that this is by God's grace and just how indebted we are to God for what he has done for us through Jesus Christ. And move us to greater humility and gratefulness and praise and worship. And it'll move us with compassion and a burning passion to see this community reached with the good news of the gospel. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we are so grateful for your grace. Your grace that constrained Jesus to give his life blood on the cross for our salvation. And Lord, we are so grateful for your grace that you would use us and gift us and equip us to be your messengers and your ministers. So I pray, Father, continue to bear 
the fruit of your spirit in this congregation. And Lord, set your giftings in operation ever greater measure in our midst. Lord, to build this body up, to make us effective at spreading and proclaiming the gospel through love and life and the words that we speak and the actions of our lives. Lord, stir up your good gifts among us that we would be and grow to ever be more greatly the people that you have called and created us to be for your glory. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.